My guest today is a radio futurologist. But don't let the word radio fool you. James Cridlin is passionate about all forms of audio content. He's the managing editor for the daily podcast newsletter, podnews.net. And he's the host of the podcast with the same name. If you're not familiar with Pod News, you should be. And here's why. It's a daily injection of global podcast news that'll keep you informed. Frankly speaking, it's the go-to source to keep you up to date with all the latest trends and events happening in the industry. And James is no newcomer to audio. In fact, he's been in radio since 1989. He's worked for giants like the BBC and Virgin Radio. He was responsible for launching the world's first streaming radio app. And he was at the helm designing the podcast strategy for the radio station during the early days. I call him Radio Royalty. He's part of numerous academies and associations. He served as judge for more radio and podcast awards than I have time to list. He is a true pioneer of the podcasting space and probably the most well-informed person in the industry. It was an absolute pleasure to talk with him, and I'm so excited that he took the time to share his journey from his home in Brisbane, Australia. Here are some highlights from the show. He describes his process for producing pod news. He shares why we should look at book charts as an indicator for what podcasts will be popular. He tells us what his philosophy is when it comes to editing, what mistakes he sees podcasters making, He gives advice for distribution and marketing, explains how to make it easy for your audience to support your show. He also talks about the common misconceptions when it comes to listener habits. Those might surprise you. We talk about the trends he's seeing right now. He tells us what he thinks podcasters should start doing, stop doing, and keep doing. And we totally geek out and talk about his favorite podcast platforms that he's using right now. And he also shares his vision for what the industry will look like five years from now. What he shares might surprise you. As you could see, this one is absolutely jam-packed full of ideas, insights, and lessons. So let's jump in to the conversation. James, welcome to For the Love of Podcast. It's a great pleasure to be on. Thank you for asking. Well, I'm going to start with a difficult question. What is your favorite type of beer? That is a difficult type of question because it depends where I am. Oh, well, give me a few then. <laughs> One of my favorite beers in the world is a Sierra Nevada Pale Ale because it's a fantastic hoppy beer, but uh, it, it really depends where you are. If you're in a hot country, then all you want is a nice Pilsner just to calm you down. If you're in somewhere like uh, Norway or something, particularly during the winter, then a good porter or a good uh, stout will be the thing that you want. So uh, yeah, it's a wonderful thing, beer. You're an equal opportunity beer drinker. I love it. And, and each situation requires a, a different varietal, <laughs> as it were. Indeed. Well, well I, I hoped one day to have a, a beer with you at some point. I know you were in LA in 2017 at the Worldwide Radio Conference, which That's is... right. It was the epicenter of Worldwide with, uh, I think, two non-Americans there, you being one of them. And that <laughs> led to the formation of Pod News because there was a gap in the marketplace where there wasn't really a source for worldly coverage of the podcasting industry. And so you really dove right in and have created an amazing platform. And and we'll talk about it. Before we talk about your platform, what I want to know is a lot of people rely on you for podcasting news. Who do you rely on? (laughs) I have a very good RSS reader. (laughs) And so I look at uh, tons of different things coming in. Obviously, I'm emailed with an awful lot of stuff as well. So that's always nice. Twitter and Facebook and everything else. So yeah, I get a lot of news every single day. And the the difficult thing when I started was, oh, I need another piece of news because otherwise it would look really light. Now, my problem is, I've already got 12 pieces of news today. (laughs) How am I going to fit any more in? So it's an interesting time. What's your process then? Because now you're getting a lot of news inbound through email. You have your RSS feed, which I'm sure is just a massive amount of things to sift through. So how do you organize it all and then ultimately hone it down to what is a really digestible few minute piece? Well, yeah. So, I mean, there's an awful lot of uh, RSS reading that goes on, probably around 350, 400 different 
pieces a day that I have to read through. So that's very quick swiping through. So typically what I'll do is I will do quite a lot of the reading of that, find all of the stories that I think are interesting enough, copy those into Google Keep, where they live for a bit. And once I've done all of that stuff, then I'll go through all of my email, check all of that as well, work out what the number one story is, which sometimes isn't isn't very obvious, and then sit down and write the thing. I think one of the beauties that I have is speaking to you today from Queensland in Australia. And one of the excellent things is that nine o'clock at night is the same as New York's six o'clock in the morning. Mm. So I have all day while you lot are asleep to work out what it is that's going to go into pod news. And that's a, a fantastic thing. Time zones are pretty rubbish for me, to be honest, <laughs> most of the time, but they're pretty good in terms of uh, sticking together a newsletter that comes out every morning. You strategically fell in love with the right person because yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it does help you. You're ahead of the game a little bit. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. So give me a few highlights for who's in your RSS feed. If you're a listener to this show and you're a podcaster what would be some of the things that would help them get some more news and maybe they could add to their own feed? I think one of the most important ones is Google's news alerts also has an RSS feed, which is something that not very many people know. I'm giving away my secrets. So that's a really good and simple way of getting a bunch of, uh, of interesting news is to search for the right keywords, obviously, and to make sure that those keywords are full of spam and, and useless as well. But to plug that out into an RSS reader is really handy. And my RSS reader, which is a piece of software called Inner Reader, has a bunch of filters as well so that I can hide stuff, I can hide duplicates and all of that as well. So that's a really useful start. The other thing is I subscribe to lots of different company blogs as well. And being able to just see what people are writing about, what people are announcing is really helpful. Quite often, I've had the case where people have announced something, put it live, then thought, oh, no, we shouldn't have announced that yet, taken it down. And of course, it's sitting there in my RSS reader. And so, <laughs> and so occasionally you will read things like, we're expecting the announcement of <laughs> blah, blah, blah in pod news because I've already read it. <laughs> I think Google News can be your friend here. As I say, a bunch of these really interesting blogs that, are, that companies run, quite a few of them don't surface their RSS feeds. But if you dig enough, then you can find them. So yeah. Well, I don't think you have anything to worry about because what you've package together is a really beautifully and truly comprehensive package in a very short, as I said, bite-sized piece. I love it. And Thank I think you. anyone that is not subscribed, I just got to make sure that I do a good job of expressing how vital it is for anyone that's a serious podcaster to be just aware of what's going on in the industry. Kudos to you for putting out a great product. We'll talk a little bit later about editing. Before we do, I do feel like I'm talking to radio royalty here. You've been in radio since 89. <laughs> what is it about audio content that is so special to you? And maybe we talk about the intimacy factor, but what is it that's so special to you that made you fall in love with this medium? I think there's a number of things, and this will be buzzword bingo, because I'm just about to use the word intimate. So apologies for that. But one of the things about audio is that it's very intimate. You reach people in a very sort of special time. You reach people when they're waking up, you reach people when they're alone, driving to work, when they're alone doing the dishes, sometimes when they're alone, alone. And so one of my favorite times of being on the air when I used to be a radio, nearly said personality, but that would that would need me to actually have one. So a radio a DJ on the air is uh, I was on Christmas Day morning and that is a wonderful day to be on because mm. you don't need to follow any rules there are literally no rules. I wasn't even given enough music, so it was great. So I was filling the, the airtime with Christmas songs that I wanted to play. But you also got people ringing up and saying, you know, it's wonderful to hear another another human voice. You know, I've been alone for the last four months and you're keeping me going and all of that. And you just suddenly realize that audio can do that in a way that virtually no other media can. It's just that human voice is a tremendously powerful thing. It gives you a lot of respect for what audio can do, but also you can see the real power of what great audio can actually achieve. In a weird way, when I think of this intimacy that you talk about, there is a common thread between reading and a podcast because it's a very solitary type of thing that you do. And if mm. we look at the, the book industry, so a million books 
come out every year. Podcasting yeah. has low and steady growth. We're talking four to five percent a year. And yet we've just now reached a million podcasts. It took 15 years to get there. And to your point, the slow and steady growth has been a good thing for the industry. My question is, when will we reach a point where it's sort of plateaued or peaked and maybe we start to reach a saturation point or go down? I'm curious because it seems like it's accelerating rather than decreasing. What's your assessment of where we go from here? Oh, I mean, I think we'll continue to have more and more podcasts, you know, out there. So I think we're around 1.4 million now. So, you know, wow. there's a large, large amount of shows out there. But it's worthwhile just sort of bearing in mind that the point about books is one that I'm partially because you can see what works in books also works in podcasting. So the best-selling book genre at the moment is true crime, hilariously, followed by self-help, and biography. And frankly, that's what the most successful podcasts are as well. So they're good in terms of content, but they're also good in terms of, you know, again, the intimacy, the fact that you read, as you say, Billy, you, you read a book when you are alone. And the same goes for podcasting as well. So I don't necessarily see that as being an issue. And I don't see the fact that we will have more and more shows out there as being an issue because, you know, you walk into a bookshop, there are many, many different books that you can pick up with more than a million published in the US alone per year. Nobody's going, oh, it's the it's the end of books. We need to stop <laughs> publishing new books. That's kind of not the thing. So I'm not too worried about that. I would certainly suspect that there has been a bit of a bubble in terms of creating new content during the pandemic. And I would suspect that there's going to be more shows which paused once we come out of pandemic properly and once we're back doing the long and boring commute and working in offices and everything else. But I don't necessarily think that that's going to be a particularly big change to our industry either. It'll be interesting to see how things shake out as we sort of transition away from this truly extraordinary year that we've had that will always forever be remembered as the year of COVID. And you brought up my next question. So it's like you're looking where I'm going, which is the trends with books and true crime being where it's at. One of the things I remember hearing you say is there are some things that don't necessarily follow the trend as much. I think it was entertainment books versus podcasts. Can you talk a little bit about that and maybe some things that maybe aren't as aligned, because it could be that there's opportunity within podcasts if it follows that same thematic parallel. I'm wondering, you know, for a podcaster or a potential podcaster listening, what might be some areas where there might be opportunity? Yeah, I mean, I think when you walk into a bookshop and you look around at the categories which you've essentially got in the bookshop, you go to the fiction section, you go to the travel section, so on and so forth. You can see individual categories of uh, books in there and you can see what is popular, what is selling. And it is very interesting looking at the parallels between that and podcasts and the most successful podcasts and the least successful podcasts. I guess you can also split that in terms of newspapers as well, because a newspaper is a book. It's just a book printed in a slightly different way. And the amount of daily news podcasts as a whole is really increasing at the moment. And you look at some of the podcast rankers and you can see that daily news shows npr's news now there's a number of them here in australia there's a number of them in the uk as well those sorts of individual news updates primarily being consumed on a smart speaker those are doing very well as well and i think that's a real opportunity that quite a few people have seen over the past six months or so has been focusing on a three minute four minute update rather than a three-hour-long Joe Rogan extravaganza. Not that there's anything wrong with a three-hour-long Joe Rogan extravaganza, so I'm told. <laughs> right. Well, not all of us can be Joe Rogan. And one of the things I love about your program is the fact that it is a daily, short, bite-sized piece. And you've talked about the importance of editing. And you say a podcast, it should be as long as it needs to be, not a second longer. Another thing that you said is there's no such thing as too long, only too boring. And I love both of those sentiments. And I really, truly believe that what you've said holds true. The stark reality is there are people listening to this show who may feel like, I just want to keep it raw and I just want to keep it authentic. And I'm, I'm not trying to make fun of them. 
at all. I guess I kind of am. But my point is, what would you say to those people who they don't necessarily subscribe as much to the belief that they should edit their shows? So firstly, there's no such thing as too long, only too boring is from a very good radio consultant called Valerie Geller, who who I should uh, point out. uh, She was the one who said that, not me. But the other one is me. I think I was only thinking about this the other day, actually, while I was out uh, walking the dog and listening to a couple of shows. And one of the shows was a podcast with two people talking in a room. And those podcasts are great. They're not something that you would get on the radio. They're not something that you would get in other media. They are specifically that type of podcast media that you that you get. And the other podcast that I was then listening to was, frankly, a repackaged radio show. It may have been on the radio, it may not have been, but it was very produced, lots of music elements, lots of very careful production in there. And maybe they are two very different things. And maybe we're doing a disservice to the industry by assuming that every podcast out there should be one or the other. There is certainly a space, a place for a a podcast which is much less produced than you would expect from mass market media. But I also think that speaking personally, I think you can edit and polish those as well and make sure that the questions that don't work are taken out, make sure that the ums and the ahs and the pregnant pauses are also taken out as well. I think that's a benefit. I'm beginning to think that there is a the Joe Rogan type of podcast, the Joe Budden type of podcast. Those are very different experiences to NPRs on the media, which I listen to, or he says, desperately trying to think of another, um, <laughs> the ABC's Corona cast, which I'm listening to here, all that kind of stuff, which is much more polished and much more produced. So maybe there's a, there's, you know, all things for all people in, in this world, which is a good thing. Well, I mean, if you think about it from a time perspective, it's our most precious resource. Let's face it. It's more valuable than money. There's a great quote from Roman Mars, I think it was, who said, if you have 100,000 listeners and you edit out one minute, then you've basically saved 100,000 minutes in the world and you are practically a superhero. He's absolutely right. The power that we have in making sure that we're not, and I think quite a lot of this comes down to, I grew up in the UK, as you can tell from my ridiculous accent. And one of the things that's drilled into you in broadcasting in the UK is public service. We're here for the public, even in the, the, the commercial stations. Because the BBC is so large in the UK, we're here for the public. The public are the people who pay our wages. We must do what the public wants. And a part of that is not to waste the public's time. Mm. And I think that's very much drilled into us in UK broadcasting and just sort of making sure that we get that bit right when we're making stuff, when we're thinking about new content so that we wouldn't just throw in a four minute read about a fancy new make of envelopes in the middle of a podcast would work out a better way of doing that. It's probably not a bad ethos to have. In a sense, we have a responsibility, right? And and, and to, to that quote, it does make a lot of sense if you multiply at times the number of listeners you have, really every minute, every second matters. And as we're talking, one of the things that I think a lot about is the fact that as a podcaster, anyone with a microphone can push out a podcast, but there's many, many pitfalls that you could make along the way, mistakes from the production side, and of course, the distribution and the marketing side. wonder if you could speak to some of the things that you see commonly made, either mistakes, and it could be any part of those process. It could be the production side, it could be distribution, it could be marketing. What are you seeing made mistake-wise? One thing that I would say is consistency is probably the number one thing. You don't go into a McDonald's one day and and you get and you get a pizza and the next day you get an Indian curry. <laughs> McDonald's would very quickly very quickly stop trading if if that were the case. The reason why people go to a McDonald's or a Tim Horton or a Burger King or a Hungry Jacks or whatever the brand is in your country is because it's consistent, because you know what you are going to get. And I hear quite a lot of podcasts that, you know, sometimes swerve into all kinds of things. And sometimes, you know, they're very, they're really funny. And then sometimes they're not. And sometimes they've got guests on, and then sometimes they haven't. And it's kind of, you know, consistency is a really important thing. So that's one thing in terms of the production. I think also marketing. The one thing that I'm quite tired of hearing is find us on Apple Podcasts and a little link that points to Apple Podcasts. 80% of mobile phones out there are not Apple phones. A link to Apple Podcasts on 80% of phones will not work. 
it'll mm. take you to a web page, which is a really bad experience. A better experience now, thank you, Apple, but still a bad experience. So just being cognizant of that, being aware that, yes, Apple Podcasts is still a really big thing, but also being aware that Spotify is out there, Google Podcasts is out there, and Google Podcasts, the player at least, is pre-installed into every single Android phone. So you know that link's always going to work. Just being aware of that is, I think, a really, a really helpful uh, thing. I got some uh, data recently from PodTrack, which looks at one and a half billion podcast episodes every single month. They gave some figures around downloads, and we, we all know those, around 60% for Apple Podcasts, around 10% for Spotify. But they also worked out the figures for audience, for the amount of people who were using these services. Apple Podcasts has about a third of US podcast listeners. Spotify has about a quarter. So Spotify is actually pretty big if you look at it in terms of in, mm-hmm. in terms of audience. They're not listening to as many podcasts in there, and that's something that we can you know obviously work hard on. But the fact that Spotify is so large means that we should probably bear that in mind when we're marketing our shows and make it really clear that you can. My advice is Apple, Spotify, and Google give each of those equal prominence and uh, you should catch everybody. You have an article in Medium and I know it was a little bit back when you wrote it and the article talks about very specifically what we're talking about now which is what you link to and I think one of the things that some people do is they have this myriad of places that that, that they link to but you've (laughs) said that's a mistake. Can you talk a little bit about the theme and the through line of that piece that you wrote? And has your thought changed to where now you think you should include Google, Spotify, and Apple, as you just said? I was saying Apple and Google only, because then you know, well, what I was actually saying was, if you view your website on a Google phone, then you should get the Google link and you shouldn't see any Apple links. But that's that's difficult and complicated to end up doing. But ideally, Apple and Google, and that's it. I've changed my mind to also include Spotify in there. And the reason why is that Spotify is very large, particularly outside of the US. Spotify is a very large component of podcast consumption now. And I think that we should bear that, bear that in mind. But definitely don't do, and I have seen one website with, I think, more than 30 different podcast apps on it. It's very impressive. It's also, there's something talked about called the paralysis of choice. And it's when you go into a supermarket, let's say you you go into the supermarket, you're looking for a jar of strawberry jam, and you see three different types of strawberry jam. And you go, okay, so you work out which is the premium, which is the cheap one, which is the, okay, I'll buy that one. Three is probably the optimal number because it gives you enough choice to choose a decent jar of strawberry jam. If you were put in front of you 20 different types of strawberry jam, that's when you suddenly stop and you go, whoa, what do I do now? How on earth do I actually choose this? And we were talking about beer earlier. I went to a beer cafe in Antwerp in the Netherlands, and they had over 1,200 different types of beer. And they give you a menu, which is a book, (laughs) you you open this and you're there scrolling through and you have no idea what to go for if you've only got the choice of three or four taps on the counter then you you can make a choice pretty quickly what a waste of a great opportunity because i have no idea what i'm actually choosing so make it easy i think is the is the thing that i would say make it easy to know where you're pushing your audience and probably three buttons is the maximum that you might want to have a think about. It'll be interesting seeing what uh, Amazon do when they get into this market, because they'll obviously want the button as well. There have been some people who've entered this market who have signed a contract with you saying that you must have a button for their product in exactly the same size and weight as the buttons for all of the others, which is interesting. But I kind of think three buttons is probably the maximum, but make sure that you've got buttons that work for Android. But of course, also make sure that you're on absolutely everywhere that that anybody would expect your podcast to be. Well, one of the compelling points that you made, well, two, one is direct people to your website first and foremost, and then from there, go to one of these platforms. And you talk about the, the fact that these are the most important charts. And if you're directing somewhere someone to go somewhere other than Apple or yeah. other than Spotify, you're effectively potentially lowering your chance of ranking in their charts. Is that still the case? And can you speak a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, certainly if you if you are a podcaster and you feel that the charts are important to you, and that's a, di- a different conversation, but if you feel that the charts are important to you, the thing that drives the charts is the amount of usage on that platform. 
So if you really want to appear high in the Apple charts or you want to appear in the algorithm that uh, Spotify or that Google uses, then one of the ways that you will appear high in that chart is to make sure that as many people consume you on that platform as possible. So directing people over to Pocket Casts or directing people over to Castro is not a good idea in that particular case because those listeners will never affect the Apple algorithm or the Spotify algorithm or the Google algorithm. And that's where the audience is. All three of those are top five podcast apps. You should be focusing on those, I think. I'm not necessarily saying that uh, Pocket Cast is a bad thing or that Castro is a bad thing, but probably deliberately trying to point your audience over there may be not so clever. I mean, at the end of the day, if you use Pocket Casts or Castro or Overcast or any of these other smaller apps, then you already know how the search function works. That's right. Um, Because you've had to use the search function in order to actually add some of your favorite shows. So therefore, it's not difficult if you're one of those users. It's probably a little bit harder if you're trying to get granny that's never listened to a podcast in the past to actually find your podcast on a platform that works for her. And in that case, giving people direct links to Apple, Google, and Spotify is probably a good plan. Make it as easy as possible for your audience. And it's true, right? If somebody is already familiar with one of these other platforms, they're going to be smart enough and familiar enough to know how to search and find podcasts on that platform. Another thing that you do on your website that I really, really love is you make it easy for people to support your show. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about the thought that you put into having Patreon, having the ability to do Bitcoin donations, and just all the different ways that people can, should they choose to, support the work that you're doing. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think it comes back to being being simple and straightforward again. So when I started doing pod news and focusing and really focusing on the newsletter because it's the newsletter obviously that links to all of these other places the podcast is supposed to be an advert for the newsletter really that gets 6000 people listening to it why would you listen to a links newsletter where you can't click the links it's a bizarre <laughs> thing anyway so yeah so i focus very much on what can i do to offer companies and individuals the chance to help and the chance to contribute in some way and i tried quite a few things and one of the things that i tried is I built my own Patreon because Patreon was going through a bit of a rocky time in terms of some of the PR that was coming out of Patreon. So I thought, oh dear, I better write my own. So I wrote my own, tried to push people that way. It was cheaper for me. And so therefore that was a great thing. Nobody really clicked on my own system because they recognized the Patreon brand. Brand recognition, particularly when you're talking about money, is an important thing. So very much focused on Patreon. I don't do anything special for Patreon contributors or supporters other than if you are a company and you're paying a certain amount of money, then you get a logo in in the newsletter. And there are lots of uh, companies who've, um, who've done that, which is a very kind thing. The other thing, though, is I built a classified ad system because I do all of the code for the pod news website by myself. So I built a classified ad system and I thought I should just do this just for me. I've tried to run classified ads in the past. They've always failed. It's always been a complete waste of time. So I'm going to set myself one day, one day to write the entire classified ad system. And so I wrote this. I didn't even have a user login or registration system. So I had to write that. So that was mostly the morning. The afternoon was writing the buying the classifieds and hooking it up with a credit card company and everything else. And I thought, I'll give it a day and then I'll see what happens. Gave it a day, went to sleep in the evening, which is, of course, when the US wakes up. And in the morning, I opened my email and there was my first order. And Hmm. I thought, wow, not just was it an order for $29, which was the base price of the classified ads, it was an order for $500. And I thought, I should probably do this a little bit more seriously now. (laughs) I'll go away and make it look pretty. So yeah, so that was a real sort of wake-up call of trying something. In development, they they talk about the minimum viable product. So just keeping things as simple and and as straightforward as possible. There was a, a link that says, have you forgotten your password? And you clicked on it and it said, if you've forgotten your password, then tough, because we haven't coded the bit that helps you get a new password. So please email me. I mean, Literally, that's how minimum it was. But, uh, you know, try things, little baby steps, see what works, what doesn't. And that's now the classified ad system is now a very integral part in how the the newsletter works. Completely self-service and hopefully completely simple to end up using as well. 
Well, it is. I actually signed up yesterday. So I went through the entire process and I will be a customer soon enough. I went and just checked out the entire thing and I registered and it's super intuitive and easy. So, and cool. clearly it's still ugly, but, uh, <laughs> but still. It, 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 you know what? Function over form, I say. So let's talk a little bit about stats because you already mentioned some stats and you get so much information coming your way. I'm sure there's a lot of misconceptions about where people are listening, how they're listening in terms of location and platforms. For example, a lot of people think that they're only listening when they're on the road or mobile. Like you listen while you're flying a lot. I know that probably that's changed. Yeah, I used to. Used to, but (laughs) so yeah, where are you listening now? But also where are people listening? What are some other fun facts statistics wise that you could share? Well, gosh, I mean, where do you start with that? I mean, the number one place to listen to podcasts is, and by the way, has always been your house at home. So people assume that you listen to podcasts when you're driving. And yes, there, were, the, there was certainly an, an amount of that listening to podcasts when you're out walking the dog. That's what I listen. But an awful lot of podcasts is consumed while you're at home. Here's a little tip. When you find a podcaster that you really like and you meet them face to face, do not say, as I once did, oh, I go to sleep with your podcast every night. That's <laughs> not a good thing. So that's certainly one thing is people are listening at home. People are also overwhelming listening on mobile devices so there's very li- there's very little listening to podcasts on uh, smart speakers with the exception of daily updates that you might have in your news briefing but with the exception of that really nobody does and i think it's to do with smart speakers being in shared parts of the house and podcasts being something that are quite intimate that you are, that you listen to alone and by the way 90% of podcasts are listened to alone which is a fascinating thing so so it's a, it's a really, really powerful medium. That's been really interesting. The other interesting thing is, you know, the difference between US and non-US as well, because there are apparently 100, another 179 countries out there. Just sort of looking at how people are consuming podcasts in places like France, Germany, Spain, far more Spotify, far more Android apps of all types, far fewer, far lower usage of uh, things like Apple, because that's what the market is, is uh, like. So that's been really interesting, you know, having a look at. And also the differences in types of podcasts that people listen to in other countries as well. So if you look at um, in uh, Korea, which is the biggest place for listening to podcasts on the planet, apparently. 60% of people listen to podcasts every week in Korea. Most of those shows are actually reformatted radio shows. There are very few podcast first shows actually in in their chart. And by the way, they also don't use Apple Podcasts. They use their own services. So again, really interesting seeing that there are differences in individual countries, as you would expect, particularly with language barriers as well. But there are also differences in the type of content that you listen to in those individual areas as well. So just lots of different data, which is uh, fascinating. And your podcast host only knows some of this. And one of the things that I've been finding out around the whole stats thing is that it's really difficult for your podcast host, for example, to know how successful TuneIn is because TuneIn has loads of different apps and quite a lot of those apps don't tell the podcast host that they're TuneIn. So you end up with a situation where TuneIn is probably at least twice as big, if not even bigger than what your podcast host thinks it is because of all of those additional apps and TuneIn is on your TV and TuneIn is probably in your car and TuneIn is is, is, you know, all over the place. So making sure that you're in tune in is a really useful thing for making sure that uh, you get loads of people tuning into your your individual show. Yeah, it's so fascinating too, because when we think about this industry and it's constantly evolving, constantly changing, the smart speaker, I was a little surprised to hear you say that it's not used that much because I know about almost half of your listeners are using it, but that's because it's a briefing, a daily briefing. I, I think I remember hearing you say that mm. a, a good percentage of your users are using a smart speaker. But what I'm hearing you say now is for other types of podcasts, it's not necessarily at this point as common. Wondering what other, because I was thinking smart speaker would be a trend that people could think more about. Um, and maybe it will be, but to your point, I think it's such a 90% is listening to kind of more on their own. What are the trends that you're seeing if for the audience listening that they can maybe take advantage of and be an early adopter and, and move forward with anything that's fresh? I think it's probably worthwhile just sort of reversing a little bit and looking at, yes, there is an awful lot of new ways of listening to podcasts. And 
yes, you know, a smart speaker is good for a certain type of podcast, as we've said, in terms of daily briefing and that sort of thing. There are many different ways of listening. I think one of the important things is to drive people towards something that you own rather than drive people towards an Apple Podcasts link, actually, or a Spotify link or whoever you are. And actually spend the time to do a really good website for your show. There's a bunch of different services out there, some of which are uh, free and some of which are uh, paid for, but a tiny amount of uh, money. There's um, pod pages is one of those types of services. Radio Public runs another one as well. And actually make sure that you are promoting not just your podcast, but you're promoting the website that people can go and find out more about your show on. They can subscribe to your show in the way that you would like them to but also they can find out more about what your show is all about. They can sign up to newsletters. They can do all, you know, all of that work as well. And that is something that I'm surprised that more podcasters aren't doing, uh, is actually focusing on having a proper presence online rather than linking to an anchor page and just hoping that that's going to be okay. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, you don't own that. And it would be a better plan, I think, if you were to focus on your own .com, or your own dot something in order that, that you're pointing people towards real estate that is yours rather than real estate that you're just renting off someone else. Yeah, that is a great piece of advice, which dovetails nicely into you, you've just made me think of some, an exercise I used to do in corporate land where it was start, stop and keep doing. And I know one of the pieces of recommendation you, you suggest podcasters start doing is listening to more podcasts. Totally agree. But maybe you could take that and run with it. Which podcasters start doing, which you just said one, which is focus on their, their what they own, the .com, maybe which they should stop doing or maybe what, what they should keep doing from what you can tell. I mean, I think certainly listening to more podcasts. I love the idea of seeing how short you can make something. I was listening to uh, one of the podcasts that I listened to is a podcast called The Rule of Three, and it's a podcast all about comedy. And it has comedy writers talking to other comedy writers about the stuff that they admire. So they take the whole thing to bits and they work out why it's funny and why it works so well. And a lot of that comes down to economy of words and economy of the message that you're actually given so that it's a clear message. So you do it in as few words as possible because that is is then pithy and easy to understand and everything else. And there are a couple of interesting tools. There's one which um, has launched very, very recently. It's an app called Transcriber, and that's Transcriber with a Y, because, you know, why would you spell something properly? So Transcriber with a Y, and, and it's a free transcription tool, and transcripts are good. But what it also does as it's transcribing is it gives you a, uh, a big color on your screen as to whether or not you are talking uh, at the right pace, which is green, or whether you're talking too fast, which is uh, red, or too slow, which is blue. And you know what? That's actually really helpful because there are quite a few shows out there where you know, somebody's so excited and they're busy blathering out as much as they possibly can. And they're talking really, really fast. And it's really difficult to understand. And actually just being able just to monitor yourself and give you some sort of understanding of where it is that you're going. That's a really interesting tool. The other interesting tool that I use, and I use it a lot, especially when I'm writing technical articles. So articles uh, trying to help people understand something is an app called Hemingway app. Mm. Uh, which you'll find and it's free and it's on the, on the web. And it basically goes through every single word that you've written and says, oh, you know, you've made this sentence more complicated than it needs be. This sentence is too long. This word is, is completely unnecessary. You can get rid of that. And it makes everything that you write simpler to understand and gets rid of an awful lot of the waffle. And that is a really useful tool, not just for writing, but also, you know, when you're thinking about scripts, when you're thinking about doing some of the some of your podcast stuff then actually slinging that through through Hemingway app and working out am I saying this in as clear a possible way as I possibly can you know is a really useful uh, tool I love geeking out on the tech and the tools and there's no shortage of them yeah being somewhat new to this industry it's all like candy for me and I'm like well there's this there's this and it's almost overwhelming what are some other favorites, James' favorites, the ones that you really love? Because you mentioned a few, but what are some other either platforms or tools or anything that you think has 
stood out as really high quality or something that you would recommend to the listeners? I mean, I play with an awful lot of these tools and things. The one that made me that made me just look at it and go, wow, that's amazing, is a tool called Descript. Descript is a great tool. It's much like a word processor, but it's for audio. So you record into it, you take that sentence that you don't want, you highlight it, you delete it, and it edits the audio down for you. It's added an additional service now where if you forget to say something, you can literally just type in the words that you want to end up saying, and it will say it in your voice, which is the weirdest, weirdest thing. And it works fantastically, and you simply cannot tell. It's a really clever, clever tool. Workstation that I use to record pod news every day is uh, Hindenburg. And Hindenburg is a is an interesting audio editor in that there are quite a lot of audio editors out there which are specifically built for music editing. So Adobe Audition is one of those. Um, Audacity, frankly, is built for music editing, Reaper, etc., etc. Hindenburg isn't a music editor. It's an editor for radio journalists. And I think that's a really interesting change of focus because what they don't care about necessarily is they don't care about incredible polish what they care about is producing something which sounds great but which is really quick to do so if you want to do a fade in or a fade out it is literally dragging one little handle and away you've done that you know there's no complicated stuff you don't have to worry about audio levels because it just pulls everything in automatically gets it to the right audio level so you don't have to worry about any of that stuff so there's a bunch of this intelligence intelligence which goes into it, which again is just a different way of thinking about podcasting, about audio production. It's just a simple, straightforward tool that does one job, but does it really well. Yeah. And I haven't tried that. I have tried Descript and I was just floored by it. I mean, game changer. And I can only imagine the look on people's faces when they see this and they've been editing a certain way and now they could use it I learned to edit on magnetic tape. So, uh, you know, and you, and you had to move the magnetic tape back and forth and you had to then mark it with a little China graph pencil and then cut the tape and stick it back together again with, with sellotape. You know, I mean, it was the most, uh, you know, you try telling young people that today and they, uh, and they won't believe you. Um, I, I, <laughs> yeah. I'm a filmmaker, so I edited on a moviola, which is very similar. Go. And so I can relate to thinking back, but I think there's something to be said for knowing what the root of it is and having that just tactile, being able to touch and feel something. I agree. There's something about yeah. that. What does the future look like? If we were to get into our DeLorean with Michael J. Fox and we're going to the future, say five years into the future, what does the future of podcasting look like, do you think? Firstly, you, you said earlier on slow and steady growth. And I think that's the real benefit of podcasting. What we haven't seen is a tremendous bubble in terms of anything, really. And I think that's been really helpful. So my suspicion is four or five years time from now, we will have grown and we'll have grown a little bit more, but it won't be tremendous growth. And that will be good for the industry, I think. So that's the number one thing. But I think also, you know, we will be listening to podcasts in different ways on different platforms. Spotify is clearly piling the money into their platform, making sure that it works for them. And there's good and there's bad in that, in that Spotify isn't necessarily caring about the open podcast ecosystem, uh, isn't necessarily caring about that sort of side of how podcasting works. So that's going to be an interesting one to keep a watch on. But we should have a bunch of other people, you know, in the industry as well by then. Amazon will be hopefully well established by that point. We'll doubtless have a few other companies who are interested in that sort of space. So I think, you know, that that's sort of one side. I think that there are some fascinating conversations going on around ad tech and advertising within podcasts. It's one of the reasons why Pod News launched a weekly newsletter, which is all about um, ad tech in podcasting and just sort of focusing on that side and seeing how can you get better advertising in podcasts. At the moment, you know, I listen to a lot of podcasts that come out of the US and a lot of those podcasts are promoting things that I cannot buy. I can't buy Geico car insurance. I can't get a Capital One card. I can guarantee that what's in my wallet is not a Capital One credit card. So all of that kind of stuff, 
points to there being a real opportunity in terms of better advertising around podcasts and making sure that that bit works as well. So I suspect that we'll see a bunch of new and interesting tools in terms of that as well. But I think fundamentally, media changes far slower than anybody thinks. Radio was supposed to have died in the 1950s. Still, nine out of 10 people (laughs) listen to the radio every single week. So radio has gone nowhere. My suspicion is that podcasting won't have changed as much as we think that it will have done in five years' time, but that will be a bigger, more consistent industry, which will continue to grow and advertisers will be more and more comfortable with uh, spending on it. Yeah, I think you're probably right. If anything, everything that's happening will expand the tent, so to speak, and give more listeners the opportunity to appreciate the shows that they love. And, and you, you've you said that if RSS, you know, I think there's these people that are the traditionalists that need it or think that it has to be RSS, RSS, and has to come from that. But it's really like, let's face it, the vast majority of people aren't thinking about it from that perspective. They want audio content delivered on demand. And, yeah, and that, they do. Really uh, you make a good point in that there are the old guard who are there with their, you know, it's RSS, it's this format of RSS, and, and, and that's all it is. And I think you've got their new entrance to the industry, and Spotify being a great example of that. And frankly, some of the things that Apple have been doing recently, where they've been thinking, you know, we're bumping up against the limitations of RSS at the moment. What are we going to do now? And both Spotify and Apple have been sort of, you know, adding additional things outside of RSS. Is that a good thing for the industry? Probably not. And I suspect that if we're clever, what we should be doing is working together to try and continue to develop how RSS works, which is an extendable service anyway, to actually work out how that bit works so that we can have more useful things in the future. So things like, you know, transcripts are an obvious thing that we uh, that at the moment is impossible to link to from an RSS feed. That would be great if we could do that. Guests and that sort of thing, again, you know, is an, is an obvious thing. So making sure that video and audio work together in an RSS feed, you can't currently do that, but why not? You know, we should probably get that fixed. So all of that kind of stuff is definitely doable. And I think as the industry grows up, you know, we will have more and more of these industry coalitions of people working together to make this work. So we've just seen the Podcast Academy, which was launched in February time. That is beginning to grow into a a good organization for the entire industry. My suspicion is that we'll see a few more of those and specifically ones focusing on technology, focusing on best practice, helping people throughout the industry grow the industry together on open standards that we can actually do. Yeah. And I just saw through pod news that Adam Curry has a, a new project with the, with the index that seems very compelling. I don't know all the details on that, but you just sent that out and I checked that out. So that's really fascinating to learn about that. Last question for you, James, what are you listening to? And, and beyond that, who are your podcasting idols? Like who are the people that you admire that you really look up to and think, here's a person who you just really feel that they embody what it means to be the type of person that's putting out quality audio content. Who am I listening to? First of all, I'm listening to a bunch of different things. The reason why I'm looking down is that I'm looking down. I'm looking at my phone. <laughs> there you so go. I find out who I'm listening to. What app are you looking at? What do you? What Probably you a good idea. So I've been using Google Podcasts for the last six months or so because I try and use things that other people are using. I've switched to Pocket Casts very recently, or switched back to Pocket Casts. Uh, it's a good Australian product. Support. Uh, local business. On one of the, yeah, exactly. And one of the things, I mean, it's owned by you lot, but ne- nevertheless, it's still a good Australian <laughs> product. It's been quite nice going back. Not that there's anything wrong with Google Podcasts. It's a, it's a great, great tool, but it's been really nice going back to Pocket Casts and uh, having access to all of the additional features. Things that I listen to uh, a lot are the ABC here in Australia has a podcast called Coronacast, which is about uh, a pandemic that's going on at the moment. You might have heard of it. It's a very good, relaxing sort of seven or eight minutes. There's a Scottish physician on there who is just a wonderful voice of reason that you otherwise don't get from 
the mass media. So that's a wonderful thing. But also I listen to my guilty pleasures are the Chris Moyles breakfast show on Radio X, which is a radio station in the UK. If you like fart jokes, that one's definitely for you. Tom Webster's The Free Noter talking about uh, speaking is a great show. And the BBC's The Missing Crypto Queen is one of my favorites at the moment, as well as the new media show with Rob Greenlee and Todd Cochran, which is uh, excellent, which I suppose I have to mention. All of those stuff that I listen to. And you had another question. Yes, who do I look up to? I look up to people who've done this very successfully as a business. So people like Todd Cochran, people like Leo Laporte, who've really taken podcasting and produced an incredible business out of it, an incredible set of great pieces of uh, content as well. And, you know, and I'd include people like, you know, obviously Roman Mars and that and that sort of thing in there as well. But I also look up to people who are working together with other people, because I think that's the big difference. If you were to look at the, the one thing that puts podcasting apart from broadcast radio, Radio, is that podcasting, everybody wants to work together. Everybody wants to help each other grow because we know that there is so far that we can actually grow as an industry. And that's very different from radio where everybody hates everybody else and doesn't want to talk to anybody and keeps their plans close to their chest. And that's a wonderful difference. And I think that was the big thing that, you know, a podcast movement that I went to a couple of years ago, I thought this is a really different industry. Instead of the NAB show or the international radio show or whatever it is, just having people helping each other. It's a wonderful thing. Watching people, you know, like Rob Greenlee, who spent a career essentially helping people move uh, forward. Dave Jackson as well. They're really good people at just not holding any grudges or at least too many grudges and just helping people grow. And I think that's a wonderful thing. And it's such a great point. The supportive nature of this industry is different. And obviously I haven't been in radio like you have, but it stands to reason that if you're in a specific market where you have a limited audience base that you're competing and you're competing for that same market share, becomes cutthroat. And wow, I'm just so humbled and honored to have had you on the show and to be one of my first guests on this new journey that I'm on. It's been an absolute delight. James can be found at his informative website, the industry newsletter, podnews.net, which I highly, highly, highly suggest subscribing to the newsletter and reading the newsletter that has links. There's also the podcast pod news and you should subscribe to that as well and and listen to it on the daily. You won't regret it. James.cridlin.net is a place where you can find information about you. You also have Twitter, which is uh, at James Cridland. You're on LinkedIn. Where else should people go to find you? (laughs) I think really podnews.net is the obvious. And there's also podjobs.net and pod.events. I couldn't get uh, podevents.net, sadly. All of those uh, three are really there to pull in as much information from the industry as I possibly can. So, you know, jobs, events, conferences, virtual things for you to sit in front of your computer and enjoy. All of that is there as well. And if you are in the Australian open street map (laughs) community, you may see me doing some mapping in there as well. (laughs) Excellent. Well, again, it's been an absolute pleasure and an honor, and I'm so grateful for you being on For the Love of Podcast. It's a great pleasure. Thank you so much for asking me. Stop. Don't leave yet. If you made it this far, please listen for just one more minute because I have something to tell you. I can't tell you how much it means that you took the time to listen, and I really hope you enjoyed this episode. So what do I want to tell you? I want to let you know that I'm here to serve you. If you have suggestions, ideas, possible guests, show topics, anything you'd like me to cover on future episodes, please let me know by sending feedback to for the love of podcast forward slash feedback. I want this to be a two-way street, not just me talking. I want to know what you want from this show. Ultimately, you will help decide what this show is and how it best serves you to make better podcasts. If you like this show, let me be blunt. The best payment you can give is to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platforms. This is so important and it will help so much, especially during these early days as the show gets started. One more ask, please consider sharing this show with your friends on social media to help spread the word. All right, that's it. Until next time, please remember, everything we do, we do it for the love of podcasts.